Part four, chapter seven of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Peter. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part four, chapter seven. A few notes. In my notebook of this time, I find these entries. March 31st, 1931. She has returned from a brief stay at Atlantic City. I read Aerosmith, she said. I think it a fine book. I remembered something while I was there. Something from my childhood. I remembered Papa taking Dorothy and me there once. I think we stayed there overnight. I know we paddled in the water on the beach. How strange, when my memory is so poor, that this should come back to me after all these years. I think we went from New York, so it must have been just after Baltimore, when I was about five. No date. How tolerant she is. Whatever her belief or habits, she never urges them upon others, or tries to disintegrate theirs. She never smoked a cigarette in her life. But for years she has lived in a drift of tobacco, without objection or criticism. She drinks nothing stronger than mild wine, but provides generously for her guests. April 5th Artists are always wanting to paint Lillian. Just now she is posing for Serene, the distinguished Russian painter who did the Pavlova, which hangs in the Luxembourg. Lillian's portrait is to hang there, he says, and some day in the Louvre. I saw it today with her. It is vividly, delicately done. No date. Today, she said, I attended a symphony concert last night with some friends. In the box with us was Gabrilowicz. I thought of what the music meant to him that it did not mean to me. What he heard that missed me entirely. Musicians have an entire world of their own. No other art has that in the same degree. Science has it, I suppose, but music seems different, of a world still farther removed. April 15th. How does she find time for all the things she does? She has no secretary now, yet somehow keeps up conscientiously with her letter answering, of itself a heavy task. Then home duties, social demands, this posing every day for Serene, also for a young German girl, Fräulein von Bismarck, reading plays, this work of ours which takes no end of time and thought. I don't see how she manages it all, but she does. I suppose things trouble her, but she remains serene. There is about her a detachment from the worries of life that suggests karma yoga, and it's that I have no doubt, for she is versed in Eastern philosophy. Whether she suffers fools gladly or not, I do not know. I only know that she suffers them, without complaint. She reads omnivorously, but always, as I think, seeking the best, and apparently reading with care and reflection. A few days ago I lent her Brand Whitlock's latest book, Narcissus, which tells the Belgian legend of Van Dyke. Today she said, I read it twice, for the story first, then for the beauty of it, the style. It has great charm. I want to read it again. Then she told me a story of Van Dyck and Franz Hals, 
which somewhere she had read or heard. April 1932 Something has happened, or is in the process of happening. Since the conclusion of Uncle Vanya, Lillian has given little serious consideration to theatrical matters, putting aside as unsuitable a variety of offered parts. A new prospect now presents itself, one that appeals to her taste and imagination. A group of influential citizens of Denver, Colorado, headed by Mr. Delos Chappelle, proposed to refurbish and reopen the ancient opera house of the little ghost mining town of Central City with a week's presentation of Camille, at fancy prices, for the benefit of the University of Denver. Robert Edmund Jones is to stage and direct the production, with Lillian as casting director, herself in the title role. She is deeply interested, has secured Raymond Hackett for the part of Armand, the rehearsing to begin at once. From a special to the New York Times. Denver, Colorado, July 16th. In an impressive ceremony, amid the merry laughter of pioneer bells and gay young men, and at a cost of $250,000, the famous Central City Opera House was brought to life tonight after a silence of 50 years. Men, women, and children from the Atlantic seaboard and the Pacific coast came to this phantom village, once a miner's capital. Daughters and sons, granddaughters and grandsons of pioneers who once made those same walls vibrate with their applause, were there for the gala opening of the revival, in dress such as their ancestors wore at the theatre when it was new. Some of the gowns, handed down through the fifty years, were once heard to rustle down those same aisles. Every person in the audience represented some famous character of the time when Central City was the center of Colorado's gold mining industry. Camille typified to perfection the taste of the eighties in the theater. Miss Lillian Gish, as Marguerite Gautier, takes the leading role, with Raymond Hackett playing opposite her as Armand. It was the first time Camille has played in the old opera house in fifty years. End of Part 4, Chapter 7